As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love to win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network, our post-game edition, our final post-game edition of this season. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, Deshaun Reed. After the Raiders' 32-31 win in Denver, their first win in Denver since 2015, and their first non-losing season since 2016, they finish 8-8, eight and eight. and I think we'll let everybody come to their own conclusions over how much of a season of progress this was. It was one win better than last season, though it took some, some weird games for them to get to 8-8, eight and eight. Uh, it took some weird coaching from the Broncos late in this one. Vic Fangio with some timeouts that hard to explain, but the Raiders did finish eight and eight. Darren Waller broke Tim Brown's receptions record. Josh Jacobs back to back thousand yard seasons. Daniel Carlson broke Sebastian Janikowski's scoring record. So some things to take away from this one. Um, and, you know, it was it was a victory for the Raiders that it seemed like their defense uh, almost tried to give away with that uh, 92 yard touchdown to jerry judy yeah cover two apparently is tough it's tough to master cover two <laughs> i don't know what the, it's like one of the most complex mysteries on this earth but uh i got i agree with you with the things they want to get done it got done like they checked some things off the list obviously getting a win was huge after the collapse this year but i kind of wrote about just that uh, i'm sure they'll be saying this is like you know a big improvement over last year and how much they were you know tough and got this big win but i still more look at the, at the collapse i think the more being six and three with that schedule and, and ending up eight and eight, there's not really a reason to uh, to celebrate too much. Yeah, I think there's a lot of positive to take away from the season on the offensive side of the ball. And then obviously special teams with, with the season Daniel Carlson had bouncing back from a rough year last season. But obviously, you know, the, the defense was a mess, you know, and, and we've said it a bunch on here. But, you know, if they just had a, a league average unit, this is probably a 10, maybe 11 win team that makes the playoffs this year. Even though it was a really tough year to make the playoffs in the AFC, I think all seven teams that made the playoffs had 11 or more wins. So it wasn't like they were going up against bums this year, but it definitely still feels like they fell short overall coming off of this season. 
you know, the expectation was for them to make the playoffs. They had a tough opening schedule, but they had a really soft finishing schedule. And, and given that they escaped out of that early schedule with a six and three record, um, it really seemed like they were, you know, I won't say guaranteed, but in really strong position to make the playoffs. And then for them to almost have the exact same collapse they did last season, finishing two and five down a stretch, you know, they had a better start. So they, they finished, you know, with, with one game better record this season. But in a lot of ways, it kind of seems like they were a little bit stagnant this year when they had the potential to do a lot more. And so, you know, while it is numerically, it, it is progress. Uh, it feels like they didn't progress as, as much as they had the opportunity to. I don't think there's a feeling of progress because pretty much the same exact thing happened last season where they had a good start to the season and then they had just kind of an unexplainable collapse towards the end of the season. Like there wasn't any major injuries that happened. It's not like the schedule got harder. In fact, it got easier. So you know, it's just difficult to figure out what exactly went on and just to collapsing the, the same manner two years in a row or two seasons in a row. It's just discouraging despite getting it at eight and eight. But just to go back to this game, some positives were, you know, Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs got more targets and uh, they produced a little bit, you know, towards the beginning and mid parts of the game. And Edwards looked really good on that uh, back shoulder catch. So positive momentum going for the young guys into the offseason. When you look at this season, I think we saw that there was going to be seven playoff teams uh, in each conference, and you thought, okay, in most years, you go into the season thinking you need 10 wins to get into the playoffs. Okay, you add a playoff spot, maybe nine and seven is enough. We all felt like this team was at least a nine and seven type team. Well, the Miami Dolphins go 10 and six. They don't make the playoffs. As, as you guys mentioned, Every team that made the playoffs won 11 or more games. The Raiders did beat three teams with 11 or more wins. They beat the Saints. They beat the Browns. They beat the Chiefs. But they only get to eight wins. And so I don't judge this team as much for not making the playoffs just because it ended up being a really tough year, the AFC. But still, I, I think if they could have gone nine and seven, I would be able to sit here and say, all right, you know, that's a winning record. They made some steps in the right direction. But their defense is just so bad that um, we, we've seen in three years now of John Gruden that we know that he can produce a quality offense that is capable of contending for a playoff spot, but it doesn't matter until they can have even a below average defense. And right now they don't even have a below average defense. Yeah. For me, it was more about the manner in which they lost to some of the teams down the stretch. I mean, the Falcons, uh, you know, they're not a good team, and they got just destroyed by the Falcons. Uh, barely beat the Jets when they were winless. You know, lost to the Chargers in a tight win, and the Chargers have been a, a very poorly coached team this year, although they're talented. Um, and then, you know, Dolphins are a good team, but just an amazingly terrible finish to that game and blowing that game is just, you know, it, it feels like they just let a 10-6 and six season. And even 10-6 and six wouldn't have made the playoffs this year, but that makes you feel a lot better than eight and eight, I think, going into the next year. But, you know, I guess on the flip side, if you take an optimistic view, something that Gruden said in the postgame presser is like, you know, if you don't make those handful of bad plays, then, then you, you are in that position. So maybe they feel they can correct those mistakes and, and take a bigger step forward next year. That doesn't always happen. I think even, you know, just mention them, the Chargers are a good example of that. I think they were a team that a couple of years ago, they had a lot of tight losses and we thought, oh, maybe they'll be. You know, a good team, if they can swing swing those games back and then they end up taking a step back. And so it's not guaranteed that will happen. But I guess, you know, if you're being optimist, which they have to be coming out of this season, I guess that's a view you have to take of it. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting offseason. I mean, obviously, the defensive coordinator will be a big position to have to fill. And 
I think what they do on defense, as far as the personnel they have, who they bring back, what they try and do in terms of the draft and free agency, obviously, it's kind of um, a little sad. They, they signed so many guys this offseason. They drafted a bunch. And they, to me, they kind of need an overhaul still. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're even close to, like, being a good defense as far as personnel-wise. And obviously, the coach will definitely impact that if they get a good coach and you can inspire some guys and the scheme can be uh, can be good, then that helps things along. But they're, they're not close to that right now, so – and then again, the offense we talked about obviously improved this year, but not as much as I thought it should have. I mean, it, should, it was supposed to be a dominant offense, and I think the O line had some injuries and some other issues. Trent Brown uh, had a rough year, so the running game kind of suffered this, these last six weeks. So I think that was a big part of their, their demise. So I think the offense was not um, as great as it should have been. The offense just wasn't the dominating unit that we thought it was going to be, but it, it was still were able to move the ball and they still scored points. Uh, it's just, you know, when the defense is as bad as it is, it just forces them to have to be so good week in, week out, and they, they just couldn't step up to the plate sometimes towards the end of the season. Yeah, it's hard to blame the offensive line, though. I mean, with, you know, Trent Brown, who John Gruden said he expected to be like the LeBron James of right tackles this year, hardly played. Richie Incognito barely played, and they had other small injuries throughout the season, and you know, it, it didn't affect them much early on, but later on in the season, they really started to wear on them. You know, I wrote tonight that uh, through the first nine games, they were averaging like 139 rushing yards. And then um, in the last seven games, they only averaged 94 rushing yards. You know, some injuries to Josh Jacobs played a factor in that as well. But with how beat up the offensive line was, in addition to some injuries that they had elsewhere and COVID cases and whatnot, I, you know, it's hard to expect more out of the offense from this season, I think. One thing is when you, Look at you know, when you talk about, oh, you know, I know Gruden mentioned, oh, we were just a couple of plays away from going undefeated in the AFC West. But, I, you know, Vic, you wrote about this, that they also were maybe two just catastrophically dumb, possibly job costing coaching decisions away from finishing the year with seven straight losses and going six and ten. You take obviously the, the cover zero blitz by Greg Williams uh, that gifted them the Jets game. And then you go into this game. We'll talk a little bit about the specifics of this game. And Vic Fangio calling a timeout ahead of the Raiders fourth and one play. And the Raiders end up going and scoring a touchdown on that. OK, fine. You know, it's. Whatever. I, I can I can go ahead and I can be okay with that one because they scored the touchdown. If they get the two-point conversion, you have a little time, and that's fine. The one on the two-point conversion, I mean, the Raiders admittedly were scrambling. They couldn't come to a decision on what personnel group they wanted. You know, it was, okay, we're going to go with this. And they, they went through three different personnel groups. They were running guys on and off the field, and they were down to 13 seconds on the play clock. And they still didn't even have the right guys lined up on the field. There was no way they are getting that playoff. They're going to have to take a delay game penalty, most likely, and be forced to go for the two-point conversion from the seven-yard line. And Vic Fangio calls a timeout. I just I, I don't know how you justify that, especially when, if the Raiders convert this, you're going to need to try to find a way to get yourself in field goal range. When the Raiders have no timeouts, to use – Two of yours in the last thirty seconds, when they have the ball, it makes no sense. It does, I mean, and the, like you mentioned, the two point conversion is especially a horrible decision. And, and to me, I think it's it might cost him his job. If you're John Elway and you watch that game, you look at the Raiders: four turnovers, fourteen penalties. Broncos have no turnovers and like four penalties. 
And the whole game, Finch was very ultra conservative, which is his nature. But again, in this kind of game, rivalry game, nothing, nothing to lose. You got to go for the win, and he's playing not to lose. I just think the last two timeouts were kind of the the cherry on the on the on the crap Sunday. But just I'll be very surprised if Vic Fangio is a coach in, in a week from now. If you are trying to call a timeout because you want to get your defense sorted, like why would you wait for them to at least show their formation before calling a timeout? And if they did do that then they would have saw that the Raiders were not ready to call, get even get into a formation. And, you know, they, they might have had to get a penalty or they uh, you might have felt good even letting them snap the ball, even if your defense is not set because they were so frazzled. So that decision really didn't make any sense. But who knows? Maybe, you know, the Raiders have another strong defensive coordinator candidate for their job opening, maybe. Question, is that better for the Raiders to have Fangio as a defensive coordinator candidate if he gets fired, or is it better for Fangio to keep his job and and have that Fangio-Drew Locke combo just kind of be not really relevant in the AFC West for another season? Yeah, they were 2-0 against the Broncos this year, so they're kind of uh, owners there. But, um, yeah, I don't know I don't, I don't what Deshaun's thoughts are on his guy, Drew Locke, but I'm not sure he's going to survive this year either. But um, it'll be interesting offseason for the whole AFC West. Hey man, Drew Lock hit that that ball, ninety-two yard touchdown, to put him ahead, <laughs> put him in position. I guess I right at defense. Hey, he didn't get a ball away this game. That was an improvement over last time. He had what five five turnovers. The Raiders are trying to keep him his job. They want him to stay the starting quarterback. He was better. I mean, I just don't understand. Like there was something like that. They, they, they fourth and one, they're forty-eight, and they punted. I just don't understand what they. Were, I just don't understand at all what Fangio was thinking the whole game. And obviously, the Raiders benefited. And fans, the Raider fans, don't care about this stuff. So they're happy that, to get a win. A win's a win. But um, to me, I know John's going to talk about you know the injuries and the COVID, and they overcame this and doubt that. But to me, really, like you said, they were this close to losing the last seven games of the season, and uh, it'd be a much different story if that, if that happened. Yeah, but you know the the counter. I guess they're kind of arguing. Oh, we were this close to being ten to six. So it's like I guess it's a a fine line either way you go with it. Yeah, but saying if we if we had a good defense, not a fight's a big line. That's not a fine line. That's that's a huge leap of logic. <laughs> and like from- even though they have a bad defense, like maybe they say you know the Dolphins gave it. Maybe we should have went for the touchdown. We had you know whatever whatever you know reason he comes up with. If we just make one play, John Green had a big smile on his face. I hate to be negative, but. Uh- yeah, I'm not sure eight and eight is, is a really a, a great thing this year. I think, um, but whatever, it's a it's an improvement over last year. So I guess that uh, that's something. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They went out and spent a decent amount of money in free agency, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we were praising them before the season. They finally are going to have a competent linebacker core with Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski. You know, Malik Collins, they were pumping him up. Carl Nassib. I mean, I never loved the Carl Nassib signing because he just kind of screamed like that. This was seven and a half million that we were paying for a guy who probably was a situational pass rusher. That was one that always kind of grabbed me that I didn't like. You know, and then the Mariota, the Witten, all that, all the money they spent there. And it's like they still don't have anybody that scares opposing offenses, I don't think. I mean, I don't I don't think you can look at anybody on the Raiders defense and say that that's somebody I'm scared of. Yeah, I, I know John wants it to be Jonathan Abram, but he he continues to not only you know, struggle in terms of um, his reads and his and his um, his patience and, and not getting opposition, but also he, he gets hurt a lot. Even today he came off the field a couple times and – you wonder what his you know, long-term durability is going to be if if he can actually learn to use his head a little better and, and stay in the right place and not be so uh, ultra-aggressive. The thing that scares me about Abram, and, and we kind of gave him the, you know, this is his technically his rookie season excuse all season, but there's just common sense things you, you have to do, and you want your safeties to be really high football IQ guys, but, you know, when it's third and ten or it's a long yardage situation and you're responsible for staying deep, or at least, you know, in an intermediate part of the field, you have to be, stay back, you know. And, and that 92-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy, they were in cover two, and they put him at a linebacker position, basically. He was playing the high hole, the, the middle hole in, in the cover two. And then he, he came up to where all the underneath defenders were, and that left Judy a huge void to run into. The common sense plays he wasn't making. And, you know, some people could say, Oh, you know, he Gunther was confusing him, or is this his rookie year, so he's still learning. But like those things are just things that you would expect a rookie or or a- anyone to be able to do. Just you know, it's not even a smart play. Just make the basic play. And looking back to training camp, I never would have guessed that the safety would be the, the worst position on this defense. Like the, to me, that was like I thought they were pretty. You know, I thought Eric Harris was decent last year. Abram had some growth this year. Jeff Heath, I thought was a decent signing, veteran guy who's not terrible. And even Demarius Randall, I thought might give him something. But God, the safeties were horrible this year. I mean, I just it was every week it was glaring how bad they were out of position, bad tackling, just no help at all to the cornerbacks. I mean, and that plus the linebackers struggling. Really, um, that's why the defense broke down so often. You know, even even late in the season, when you think at seventeen weeks in, you should know how to play cover two, but apparently, uh, it's still a struggle. Hey, and Carl Joseph's going to the playoffs. Yeah, Carl Joseph, he's a he's a great guy, man. Good good <laughs> good job by Carl. I love Carl. Yeah, Carl Joseph, <laughs> I I'm not giving him credit for this at all, but. First year with the Raiders, they make the playoffs for the first time since 2002. First year with the Browns, they make the playoffs for the first time since 2002. But, Ted, you mentioned Brian Edwards, and um, that was one of our kind of keys going into this game, what we want to see. We want to see a little bit out of these rookies, you know. Since that week three ankle injury, you know, basically lost his starting job at at that point, missed several weeks, and then Nelson Aguilar kind of took over. Uh, Didn't really develop much of a role in the offense uh, going forward. 
But to catch that touchdown, you know, for Vic and Tashawn, I mean, that, those are the kind of plays you guys kept talking about in training camp that none of us were able to see other than the, the few you guys were there. And so for him to, to make a play like that, give him a little bit of momentum going into the offseason, and, and, you know, he had that other nice catch and run. Uh, you know, the Raiders, they're going to have a decision to make with Nelson Aguilar, and I know Derek Carr was advocating pay the man. I'm skeptical of whether it's worth it to pay Aguilar, and we can talk more about that either in this show or may, or maybe later this week as we kind of review the season. But to get that kind of production out of Brian Edwards, to to show him, have him show that flash, I think that was somewhat important going into the offseason, that, that he has a little something to build on. Yeah, the way he looked in training camp, I would have expected we see a lot more plays like that this season. And, you know, he did have a solid start to the season before he had that um, – you know, ankle injury against the Patriots that really derailed him. And then after that is when Aguilar really started to take off. And so even when he got healthy, there just wasn't, you know, enough room to get him snaps in there uh, without Will Aguilar was playing. But, you know, he, he kind of showed those traits, you know, being a big physical guy that still is explosive and has soft hands. Um, and I'm kind of with the same boat on you on, on Aguilar. I think that they're going to spin. I think he can get a little expensive with the season that he had. You know, just looking at the recent history of, of what receivers, you know, that perform the way he does go for, it's typically around that $10 million range. You know, I think if you're already spending, you know, eight figures, you know, if you're going to do that on a receiver, uh, I, w- I would rather go, you know, try to get somebody like Allen Robinson or somebody like that. That's, I think, is more so a, a true elite number one receiver. If you're going to spend that price range on a receiver, I'm not sure, you know, I would spend that amount on Aguilar, but it just all comes down to, you know, whether whether or not they feel like Brian Edwards is, is ready to step into that role full time next year. I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes, but, you know, he showed flashes primarily in practice this year, but also a few times in games. And, you know, I, I think ideally they would like, you know, the receiver duo to be Ruggs and Edwards moving forward. But I uh, just don't know 100 percent if next season is the time where Edwards is ready to step into their starting role. You would want to bring Aguilar back, but like you guys said, I I would have a ceiling of how much I would pay him and if he wants to go too much over that then I think you have to move on and trust your scouting trust that these rookie receivers will develop because they need to spend on a defensive side of the ball bad and you know this is a running offense and they have a number one in Darren Waller and they spent a first round draft pick on rugs uh, I think you got to really put a lot of capital on the defensive side of the ball, and you, you might not be able to do that if you, you end up paying Aglor too much money. Yeah, I mean, I know some people will point out that, you know, Tyrell Williams is likely to come off the books. You'll probably move away, move on from him, and, oh, you can just give Aglor that salary. But like you said, I mean, do you want to just give Aglor that salary, or do you want to dedicate that to the defensive side of the ball? Because I think, I think John Gruden, Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs. I think that group is capable of producing a good offense, whether you bring back a guy like Aguilar. And I mean, Aguilar is a, a nice story, you know, 48 catches, uh, close to 900 yards, eight touchdowns. That's a nice story on a $1 million salary. If that's the production you get out of a $10 million salary, I mean, that's, that becomes just okay. Like, yeah, that's what we need, what we expect. And, and suddenly, you know, there's probably a little more attention on him next year. So I just, I think you caught lightning in a bottle with Aguilar this year. And I think you just kind of happily take that and maybe see if there's another Aguilar type that you can try to catch lightning in a bottle with next season. But for the salary, I expect him to command, you know, Derek Carr is going to want him back. John Gruden is going to want him back. But I just don't know that it's the best decision. Yeah, I mean, you drive rugs 12th overall. You would hope he'd be able to do some of the stuff that Aguilar 
does. You know, like today, I think his, uh, you know, like 50 yard catch was just a regular go route, I'm pretty sure. Like, you know, those kind of plays, you'd hope in year two, Ruggs becomes a little bit more consistent and he can start to fulfill some of that that stuff. And, you know, with as often as they use tight ends, they, they kind of use Waller as an X receiver as times anyway. So maybe if Brian Edwards isn't ready, that's how they supplement that. Um, if they don't go get another receiver. So Aguilar would be nice to bring back next season, but I don't think it's necessary when you look at, at the defensive issues and the needs they have at edge rusher and safety and probably nickelback if they move on from LaMarcus Joyner. I just think they have too many holes they need to fill elsewhere. You know, in terms of the optimism going forward on this team, I mean, I think, you know, we looked at the last couple of years, you know, when they had you know, multiple first round picks. This year, obviously, they're back to just the, the one standard first round pick and finishing eight and eight. It's going to be number 17 overall. You should be able to get a good player in number 17 overall. We'll see, you know, what how deep this draft is, what kind of defensive talent is available there. And I say defensive talent because I just think you have to go in committing. We know that it's John Gruden coaching this team and, and leading the personnel. So you don't know what he's going to do. But I think you have to go in committing yourself to that has to be a defensive impact player. You got to hope this team can scout right and figure out the best player there uh, because they, they've got to find a way to just find somebody impactful on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think you take the best available pass rusher. I think that I mean, may not be a stud at 17, but it should be pretty good and be able to have an impact and at least be better than, than Cleveland Farrell as Farrell can move inside on third downs if you get someone else. So I think that would be the approach I would take. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, either if they can get a three technique, because I don't think Millie Collins is coming back. So if they can get a three technique or a really good pass rusher at that spot, that would be the move. I have to look, do some more research. I'm not sure if there's a safety that's worth taking that high. But I think um, even if there is safety as a position, there's a few guys available in free agency this year, more veteran guys that I think with the secondary being as young as, as they are, especially if they let go of Joiner, I think they're going to need somebody with more of a veteran presence to, to step in and kind of give them some more stability back there. So even if there is a safety that they like at 17, I think they'd be better served either going with a three technique or a pass rusher. I haven't really dug in deep yet, but Dane Burglar, a draft guy who's excellent, believes this is a pretty weak safety class. So I, I don't think it's a guy in the first round. And I, and I agree, you want a guy with a little more... Um, a little more veteran experience at the safety spots. Um, so I, I would look at free agency. I, I think Marcus May from the Jets, who's uh, who's a pretty good player, the free agent too. But yeah, I mean, this pass rush is just really bad. So yeah, you, hopefully you could find an impact player in, in the mid rounds that could that could rush the passer. I just don't want to hear them drafting a safety in the first round and, and the immediate talk is about how he's a big hitter because uh they've they've done that twice in the last few years and uh you know carl joseph ended up being too small to really be an impact player in this defense and uh and jonathan abram is uh is thus far in his career too reckless so um they can't go that route again but you know you guys mentioned it earlier you know the talk from john gruden about trent brown this week uh you know, expected him to be the LeBron James of right tackles and just hasn't been available enough. Does anybody see any scenario in which he's back next season? I was going to say one of the, uh, my Twitter followers had a great response. Like they paid John Gruden to be the Phil Jackson of coaches. <laughs> it didn't work out either. So that was a great response. But um, yeah, I've gone back and forth on Trent all year long. Like I, I, when, at the start of the year when he was um, out for a while and they were getting frustrated, I thought, no way he's back. Then he came back, and he seemed to be playing okay. I thought they definitely realized how much they missed him. But okay, yeah, fourteen million is definitely a discount from this year's twenty-one million. Yeah, okay, I think he's back. 
but now I'm back where I was. I, I don't think he's going. I think he's gone. I think um, I just he, he wasn't available enough in the two years. I think you can question his work ethic or the, his ability to stay healthy, or if he was in good shape or not. But the bottom line, he wasn't available. And um, this last week, the kind of he just kind of. Um, I guess he got hurt at the end of last week's game and didn't practice all week, so I'm not sure what happened there. But it just seems like um, give him a chance to uh, to mail it in. He did. I think they kind of are ready to move on from him. That's my gut feeling. I think they're going to keep him because, all right, for one, I don't think they have a, on the roster, at least right now, I don't think there's a, a good replacement for him unless they just really love how Denzel Good played at right tackle in that limited time um, and want to bring him back on a reasonable deal. Um, there may be some guys out there in free agency that don't cost $14 million that they think could be a good starter at right tackle. You know, that's a reasonable amount for a, a really good start in right tackle, which I think he is when he's healthy. So maybe it's just a matter of, you know, when free agency rolls around, do they feel confident that, you know, he's going to be good to go this year? Because, you know, even in this offseason, I don't think there was a lot of concern about him being healthy, even though he was coming off injury. I mean, it was an upper body injury. And so the calf thing kind of came out of nowhere and, and derailed his season there. They feel confident that he that he can be healthy, which obviously the last two years he hasn't given a lot of reason to, to feel that way. But if they do, I think they end up bringing him back just because it comes down to what is your alternative, either in-house or, or somebody you could go get for a lesser amount that you would save money on from that $14 million. This offense is so built around, you know, their identity is so built around having a strong offensive line that it's very tempting to bring him back. I mean, you know, We've seen when he's healthy, he makes an impact. You know, the problem is, is whether they believe that he did everything he could to play or did they, you know, maybe internally they don't feel like he did. Uh, who knows? But I think, you know, if they really thought that he couldn't control the circumstances and, you know, he had COVID and these injuries are serious, then I, I imagine they pr- probably bring him back for another season. I would lean they more likely would bring him back. But again, if they cut him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, there's obviously plenty of big decisions for the Raiders to make in the offseason. Trent Brown is a huge one, not just because he's the biggest guy in the NFL. But as we wrap up here, uh, we do want to give a shot and a shout out to Vic Tafer, the big 5-0, baby. How you feeling, buddy? I feel old. I really, people <laughs> talk about the whole midlife crisis and you start questioning things. I've been doing a lot of soul searching in the last 24 hours and it's not pretty. Your soul's not pretty? It's not good. So I'm going to drink. I'm, I'm a, nah, it's not good. So I got through the game today. I didn't drink at all, but they got the bottle next to me as soon as this podcast ends. I made some uh, hibiki, some uh, Japanese whiskey, and uh, I'll be definitely feeling better about my uh, myself after a couple hours. Why do you have to wait till the podcast ends? Because, eh, you know, I'm trying to be professional. So, so I'm trying to close out on a, on, a, on a high note. Have you gone sports car shopping yet? Yeah, what, what's the car you buy, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now I'm rocking the, uh, the family Kia, so probably yeah, i got to do something a little more, uh, a little cooler than that. But, you go uh, buy a Hummer or something? You gotta, you gotta... Buy a, I mean, a Hummer, <laughs> buy a nice one, like a luxury watch, maybe like a really fancy watch, because, you know, something like that. You know, maybe you get the... Uh, a little hair dye going. I'm getting a little gray. Ooh, okay. Some hair coloring. I got some big plans. You look like Greg Williams, huh? <laughs> if only this was the year where we were going to have like a regular combine. Like Vic would be showing at the combine, just like a completely different person. He'd have like some blonde tips and. <laughs> I go, oh, the combine buzz is Vic Tafer's new look. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, be worth but the no, whole story. Be, but my new look will be uh, over Zoom, I guess. So we'll have to work on something. I think you could pull off the Guy Fieri look. You could do it. Do not mention Guy Fieri. Or <laughs> me, me, me and him have a uh, me and him have a, a quiet Cold War. Oh, I did not know this. 
I ran into him at my during my bachelor party in Tahoe. <laughs> kind of told him off. You know, it was uh, it it was an experience. He was kind of confused, but you know, it was a uh, hey bachelor party. Just just didn't appreciate seeing him there. I don't know why. Oh my god! Have you seen him at Raider training camp? He he cooked for the Raiders. Yeah, see, I, I usually found a way to. I, I luckily seem to most years uh, avoid happening to be up there the day that he was was up there. I'm not. It's kind of an underground story. People people know I'm I'm not a not a guy Fieri guy. So, well, that's, that's Marcel Reese's guy. So when Marcel has his little rise to power in the next few years, I'm sure we'll be seeing more guys. So maybe you guys can uh, can squash your beef in the next couple of years. All right, guys. Well, we will uh, wrap up the season for you later this week and kind of put on a bow on this on this whole year. Eight and eight. We'll see what John Gruden has to say at his season wrap press conference. And uh, I'm proud we'll, of my guys. I'm proud of my team. My team. They, they fought, fought hard. hard. You know, we had a lot of injuries. Nobody else deals with the injuries that we deal with. <laughs> uh, all right. Sorry. Yeah, we're not. We we promised last year we wouldn't do any John Gruden impersonation. So we'll uh, we'll knock that off. All right, guys. Well, happy birthday, Vic, and uh, we'll talk to you all later this week. All right, guys. Thanks. Adios. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think. (laughs) 